Listen, when Lloyd A. Thompson and Mad Mike grab mics, it's real sports, real talk. On the field or on the court. If it happened in New York, it's covered like a blanket, dog. Interviews are ill, simply up close and personal. That erupt, Lloyd's batting first, set the tone. Mike see the right the stadium with a guard and on the phone. Here we go, Giants of Jets, Yankees of Mets, Knicks of Nets. This is only an intro, the show is next. January 15th, 2018, and I would like to welcome you to this week's Lloyd A. Thompson and the Mad Mike Sports Talk Show. Woohoo! Tell me that intro ain't fire, listeners. That intro gets me amped every single time I hear it. But happy Martin Luther King Jr. Day, people, as we celebrate that day today. Listeners, the show airs every Monday from 1 p.m. to 2 p.m. on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and of course at LloydAThompson.com. And be sure to hit that subscribe button so you won't miss a damn thing. And we're also on social media listeners at LloydAThompson, one word on Twitter, and at LloydAThompson, one word on Instagram. And if you have any questions, that your life for me and a mad mic to answer on the show, you can shoot them through email to Lloyd at pardonmyfresh.com or you can send them directly to the website. As always, listeners, we have an exciting show for you today. The New York Knicks, a team that I thought might make the playoffs, they're rearing their ugly head again, and I'm gonna tell you why they should be sellers as soon as the All-Star break comes or before the All-Star break comes, but the season is over, folks. I'll get into that. We have some NFL playoffs being played over the weekend, so me and Mad Mike can touch up on that. We'll touch up on some Yankees. We'll touch up on some New York football sports. So always, guys, let's buckle up, sit back and relax, and start spreading the news. Hey, yo! Let's get it! Ladies and gentlemen, it's Monday. That means it's time to talk sports with Lloyd A. Thompson and Mad Mike. Let's go. Listeners, we got to find out where the Mad Mike is calling from. Yo, Mad Mike, where you calling from today, baby? Hey, man, I'm at the I'm at the Garden. Knicks uh, are uh, starting the seven-game uh, road trip. I'm just uh, trying to see if I could catch any suits and... Uh, find out uh, what are the moves they have for us. You know, they gave us Trey Burke and Wave Sessions. I'm trying to see, uh, you know, if, if we can expect some other moves coming uh, right after this. Well, I'll tell you what, man. You saw a stinker today, but we're going to talk about the Knicks the second half of the show. But we're going to start the show off with some NFL football that was being played over the weekend, Mad Mike. There was playoff footballs with the Patriots versus the Jaguars. I, and the, I'm sorry, the Patriots versus the Jaguars and the Eagles versus the Vikings are set for conference championships. So, you know, the the uh, the Patriots beat, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm in a stupor right now, but the Patriots beat the Tennessee Titans over the weekend. Um, the Minnesota Vikings defeated the New Orleans Saints. So there was some, the Sunday games were a lot better than the Saturday games. So the first, the first, the Jaguars took on the Pittsburgh Steelers in an offensive shootout that the Jaguars won. 
Now, the Jaguars with Blake Bortles at quarterback, Mad Mike, handled the Steelers who spent the entire week talking trash about being hype about playing against the Patriots. Now, I also picked the Steelers to beat the Jaguars as because I thought the Steelers would be the most formidable opponent for the New England Patriots. But apparently, that's not the case. Now, I like, I like seeing the Steelers lose, so it was fun for me. And I enjoy seeing the Jaguars players rub it in. The Jaguars themselves also took it to social media and rubbed it in on there. You know, and the Steelers were all truly beaten. There were some tough moments in the Pittsburgh locker room. You know, they cut James Harrison, who ironically is with the New England Patriots, you know, and, and is playing for the Patriots. So it would have been nice to see James Harrison play against his former team in the AFC Championship game, but it's going to be the Patriots against the Jaguars, Matt, Mike. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm going to be very honest with you. I I'm like you and everybody else. Um, I picked Pittsburgh probably more because, you know, I want to see Pittsburgh versus New England in a rematch. But I I'm going to be honest with you, and it, it it I don't know how to word this where it doesn't sound like I'm being petty or or you know, pointing out things that might not actually be there. But after seeing Antonio Brown's Facebook video last year during the playoffs, after that that uh, round two win when they were, you know, you hear Mike Tomlin in the background talking about we're going to go in there, this and that. Like, I just feel like these guys are not prepared. Like, that, that kind of gave me a glimpse or made me feel like, I'm looking into this locker room, and this is not a locker room that's all about their business. You know what I mean? Like, and and I feel like you 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 could hear the same thing if you had Antonio Bryant videotaping on Facebook and live. You know their their locker room before this game. I feel like it's the same message. Like, yeah, wait till we get to New England. Wait till we get to New England. Not not even thinking that hey, these Jaguars busted our ass in Week Five. You know. Uh, ben Roethlisberger had five interceptions in that game. To think that this defense wasn't formidable for today, what shocks you is that 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 they scored forty five points, but that defense basically gave them twenty one of those forty five points. So it, it to me, I, I just don't, I don't know if it's Mike Tomlin, I don't know if it's it's I I don't know what it is, but I'm going to be honest with you. Coming out of this game, I'm happy that it's Jacksonville playing. The, the the Patriots, because that defense in Jacksonville, did a real deal. I mean, they gave up 42 points yesterday, but they they got after the quarterback. They caused turnovers. They're gonna give Brady fits. They they they're gonna they're gonna give him some trouble, man. I'm I'm the the, the Patriots on the other end. They did what they were supposed to do. The the Patriots and the referees, you know, whooped Tennessee's ass on Saturday night. Just just that simple. I mean, I've never seen a team so good get so much help from referees. And I'm not saying that because I'm a Jet fan. I'm saying that because you get fake offense, you know, phantom offensive uh, pass interference penalties against Decker. You get these false three, three New England Patriots false start on a New England punt. And somehow they say the defense caused it. Even though Tony Romo's like, I don't understand why they didn't, they didn't throw a flag for false start 12 seconds ago. He's seeing it. How come the refs are not seeing it? So, you know, once again, I just feel like 
you know, the Patriots and the refs go out and do what they're supposed to do. Um, and, you know, the Jag- Jaguars, they shock us all. But you know what? If any team can beat the Patriots next week, it's them. They run the ball and they play defense. I agree. And they have a fast defense. And they see because their defense is so fast, that can probably, you know, cause New England some issue. Because the problem was Tennessee didn't, they didn't really put that much pressure on Tom Brady, Matt, Mike. There was plays where I seen Tom Brady sitting in the pocket for days and days and days and was able to look all over the field and complete passes. And, you know, you know as well as other people know that follow the sport of football. And I played corner. I played the secondary in high school. It's tough to cover receivers for a long, substantial amount of time. At some point, somebody's going to eventually get open. And that happened quite a bit in that game against Tennessee. Tennessee came out really good. You know, and they scored the first touchdown, and it looked really great. And I was like, wow, you know, I thought Tennessee would be the team that would give, you know, New England some fits. But, like, after that first touchdown, it was all downhill. Like you said, there were some issues with them not getting calls. But they got to put pressure on the quarterback. You, Tom Brady is too good to let him sit back in the pocket and, you know, have days to throw the ball. He's going to find somebody, you know, he's going to find somebody. And, you know, it, was, it, was, it ended up being a beatdown. But I agree with you, Jacksonville does give, you know, they, they are a formidable opponent for New England. And I think they can beat New England because of their defense and their offense. I wasn't too enamored with the, uh, the Philadelphia game either, Matt Mike. It was a boring game. Um, you know, Nick Foles managed to pull that game out. It was a game that I felt could have went either way. But Philly pulled it out, so it's good to see some fresh blood, you know, in the, in the, in the, um, in the NFC Championship game, you know, with them knocking off Atlanta. Um, but I, I really think that my, my pick for the game of the entire weekend, Matt Mike, was the Minnesota Vikings against the New Orleans Saints. Now, it was all Minnesota in the first half, but they started to let the Saints back into it especially after some key injuries. But the Saints came back from being down 17 points, man, Mike, and they took the lead with three minutes remaining in the game. And then the Vikings took the lead back with a long field goal, a 53-yard field goal, mind you, that the guy that the field goal kicker might have made from 56 to 57 yards. And in the process, they left a little bit too much time on the clock because they elected to pass instead of run. And at the same after Sean Payton, I'm sorry, I said Shane. After Sean Payton had, had blown two Saints timeouts on challenges early in the second half, Matt Mike, the Saints, the Saints took the lead back and, and didn't let it go until they did. Now, Stephon Diggs, he made a crazy touchdown pass as time expired, giving the Saints the win. But one thing was clear from the games, Matt Mike, and you touched on this. The officiating remained terrible. Bad calls were everywhere in all the games, but especially in the second half of the, of, of the day. Not only do we not know what a catch, not only do we not know what a catch is, but referees don't know what pass interference is. There was a glaring missed one that was committed by Minnesota in the first half, and two by the Saints in the second half. So. The referees have got to get their act together. I don't know if the NFL grades the referees and they do it based on like the, what the NBA does where, you know, the, the best officials are picked based on grades to referee the playoff games. But if they don't have something like that in place, 
The players union need to bring that to the table and this needs to be corrected or they need to utilize instant replay a lot more. But the AFC championship game is set for 12 o'clock on Sunday, 20 on, on January 21st on Sunday on CBS. And the NFL championship game is set for 3.40 p.m. that same day on Fox. But the officiating, need, the officiating needs to get it together, Mad Mike, because believe it or not, the officiating can win and lose games for teams, and that's a shame. Yeah, I mean, listen, anybody that watched Saturday night's game against Tennessee and the, and the Patriots, you can't tell me that that game didn't change on those two calls. You, you just can't. I mean, we're, we're talking about New England punting from their own end zone, and they we all thought I, I mean the refs called it and pushed them back they were fourth and five and they were going to punt from fourth and ten and a ref came in after they had already made the call and and, re, and spotted the ball and said wait a minute no the defense the defender made them jump off, uh, uh you know off you know for they, they he he it was uh whatever uh not encroachment but he he forced the the false start. And in my head, I'm like, you can't. There's no way that they're going to pick this ball up and give them from fourth and ten to, to first down. And they did it. And New England goes and they score the touchdown. And it's 14-7. And on the very next drive on third down, Eric Decker, it's two yards in. All he did, the defender went uh, 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 to, to jam him at the line. All he did was knock the, the, the boy you, you know, the, the cornerback, all he did was knock him off of him. And, and, the, and the defender basically stumbled. He knocked him off balance, and he got open. It was a first down. It was a huge play for first down. And they called offensive pass interference. He caught the ball for a 12-yard, uh, on a 12-yard play, and they called him for offensive pass interference for something he did three yards into the route. It was unbelievable to me. And then you saw Gronk do it on the very next possession, for, for the Patriots, where he's 20 yards downfield and he's fully extended. And Tony Romo said it. You can't call one and not the other. So these these refs, they have to get consistent. And I do want to say Stephon Diggs made an amazing play. And I don't know what the safety for New Orleans was doing. Minnesota had no timeouts left. All you have to do is wrap him up and keep him from getting out of bounds. And this game is over. Tackling is a lost art, but I will say this. I've seen a replay 10, 12 times already. When I first saw the play live, I said, how the heck can this guy go for that hit? How can you try to make a big hit on that play opposed to just getting the guy down and letting the clock run out? But if you look at it again, it looks like he kind of went low and away from the uh, digs who was up in the air to avoid a 15-yard penalty. It really does. If you go watch the replay, it looks like he didn't want to get hit with that uh, hitting a defenseless receiver penalty, given the extra 15 yards. That 15 yards would have put them on the 46-yard line, on the 46-yard on on line of New Orleans, and it would have had a little bit of time left on the clock. They would have had a chance. Like you said, he could have made a 57, 58-yarder. So it looked to me like they were kind of trying to play it safe and not even – Give them a shot at the at the field goal. Either which way, man, you just got to wrap a guy up. I don't know, man. You played football for a long time. I don't know why wrapping guys up 
has become a lost art for these safeties. Well, I, I know you, you want to put the big hit, man, but sometimes you, you just got to rap. You but go. you got to wrap just, up, man. You just said the key word, Mad Mike, right about now, everybody is all about making that big hit. And you still, we, we you know, we've talked about this on the show before. And just to kind of go back to the Decker play, you have five yards. Of, the defender have five yards to jam a receiver. Well, guess what? The receiver has, it's the same thing for the receiver. The receiver has five yards to fight for his right to make a to, to do a pass route or whatever the case may be. So if a defender tries to be physical to receiver, and the receiver returns that favor by being physical to defender within that five-yard area, then he has a right. And if you get knocked on your ass as a defender, oh well, because what happens to a receiver when he gets knocked on his behind? Oh well. Yeah. So the right, they definitely blew that call with that, man, Mike. Definitely. Yeah. And I just, I case, just feel like it. I, I feel like it changed the game, man. I mean, I, I, I could be just crying over spilled milk, but you know, I was watching a game with with my brother-in-law, and he told me. He said, "This is where the game changed." He said, "This is exactly where the game changes. Every time you watch the the Patriots play, this is where 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 they just keep chopping wood, chopping wood, chopping wood, and and." They just need that one opening. And sometimes they, the team gives it to them. Sometimes the refs get it. Either which way, they're not apologizing. They're going to take advantage. That's where the game changed. They had new life. They, you saw that they started the game three, uh, uh, with back to back three and outs. And, and, uh, uh, on the third drive of the game, Tennessee's up seven nothing. And you're like, okay, wow, what a game. You know, maybe they came to play. And then all of a sudden, you see the flag, you see the flag, you see the flag. All, and I'm just like, oh, my God, what are we watching? As a, as a, as a sports fan, and I'm very, you know, analytical, and I, I, you know, I dissect and I watch games, I'm a very firm believer, Mad Mike, that in every game that is played, in any sport, there's always, well, not always, but most of the time, probably over 90% of the time, there's one play. Or there may be one sequence that will change the complexity or outcome of a game. Of a game. And that play right there, I agree with you. That play right there was a huge play. Huge play. And completely changed the whole complexity of the game. And it wasn't because of a player not doing his job. It wasn't because of a coach not making the right play. It was because of a damn official missing a call. And the NFL needs to get this right. They need to get it right. I don't know what acts court. I, I think if, if those referees or the staff, I think they should be graded by the teams. And if the teams grade the officials and give them high marks, then those officials are the ones that should be allowed to do the games. Now, again, I don't know how the NFL does it. I believe that's how the NBA does it. And it works for the NBA. The NFL needs to do something. They have instant replay in place for a reason. And most of the times, coaches are successful. I want to know what the percentage is of coaches being successful with challenges. Now, sometimes coaches just challenges. They challenge players for the sake of challenging it, even though they know they're not going to win. But I've seen quite a few instances more so where referees blow calls. Like there was a play with Leonard Fournette in that game, Mad Mike. Where he broke, yeah, it was a it was a crucial play that he scored on a touchdown. We broke to the outside 
and he scored, and the referee said he didn't score. Clear as day, he was inside, he never went out of bounds, and his leg touched the pylon with the ball going inside the pylon, but they said he was out of bounds. Went to instant replay, referees were wrong. You just can't have that. You can't have that. And then when people speak out about the officials, they get hit with big fines. What do you expect? What do you expect coaches to do? What do you expect players to do when they feel that referees are dictating the outcome of games? Something needs to be done about that. Something needs to be done. But moving on to the New York football giants, Mad Mike. Their offseason has already gotten off to a bad start. Already. As the coveted Matt Patricia chose the Detroit Lions over the New York Giants, Matt Mike. Now I'm hearing reports that he isn't crazy about choosing the Lions, the Lions over the Giants. But, you know, it, he did. Now, that well, may Well, I mean, can you fault him? You got you to gotta consider one thing. In Detroit, they have the number one position locked up in Matt Stafford for the long term. Where the Giants, yeah, we say, hey, they have Josh Rosen and Sam Darnold. And he might not like either one. And, and, and we're talking about a first-time coach, um, head coach, right? He's not trying to, to – to, he's not latching himself to a rookie. And he's not latching himself to, to uh, uh, Eli Manning at the end of his uh, career. Now, I'll let you finish, but I just wanted to throw that no, out there. Yeah, and, 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 a, and a part of me was like, you know, if I had the choice to choose between Detroit and New York, in my mind at first, I was like, well, maybe I would choose New York because New York might be a little bit more attractive, more of an attractive situation. But in hindsight, Mad Mike, it's not. You know, Detroit always made sense for Patricia because he has a long he – he also – has a long-standing relationship with the Lions general manager, Bob Quinn, who worked with the players, the Patriots personnel department from 2000 to 2015. Now, coaching a general manager is tied at the hip. So it's understandable for, the, uh, for Patricia to be more comfortable with the boss he knows well and has same views on building a team, Matt Mike. For all we know, the first time Patricia and Giants general manager Dave Gettleman met, was in a hotel conference room in Foxborough, Massachusetts last week. So, maybe in that meeting, Patricia didn't hear all the things he wanted to hear. Like you said, maybe Patricia doesn't want to deal with a quarterback that's at the end of his rope. Maybe he doesn't deal with a, want to deal with a wide receiver that's a diva. You know, maybe he wasn't deal. You know, the Giants are a mess right now. Eli Apple, there's a lot going on with the Giants right now. And maybe he doesn't want to deal with that at all. So maybe the bet as a Giants fan, I thought it would have been great for him to come to New York because that's what I wanted. But as a sports fan, when I think about it, it made more sense for him to choose the Detroit Lions over the New York Giants. So with that being said, the question is, what's next for the Giants? So beyond the ties of Quinn, Detroit offers something, Mad Mike, that every coaching candidate converts. And that's a franchise quarterback in his prom. Now, obviously, I like Matthew Stafford. I've gotten into disagreements with people 
over Matthew Stafford. But if I had to choose between Matthew Stafford and Eli Manning, I would choose Matthew Stafford. And with that being said, Matthew Stafford, in my opinion, gives Patricia an opportunity to win football games from day one, Matt Mike. Now hear me out. The Giants quarterback situation is far more settled. Like you said, they have 37-year-old Eli Manning under contract for two more seasons. And a new coach, like I was saying, may not want to deal with the inevitable divorce from a two-time Super Bowl MVP. So Patricia and other candidates are certainly aware of the outrage that led to Ben McAdoo's firing after he benched Eli Manning. So the Giants have means to move on for Manning with the second pick in the draft. But even if it's Josh Rosen or Sam Donald's turn out, you know, so say the Giants do pick one of them. You know, these figures would be a learning curve for either one of those quarterbacks. Meanwhile, Stafford is a finished product. So, you know, the other factors that some seem to believe that, you know, that would sway Patricia to the Giants over the lines were overstated. So the Giants' history is nice. Having four Lombardi trophies in the lobby, you know, didn't help McAdoo much. But the Lions' history, one playoff win, and a Super Bowl era is abysmal. But the Giants' Super Bowl in 2011 was two, was two coaches ago. So, you know, Patricia was 12 when Bill Parcells got a ride off the field on the shoulders with the Giants. You know, the Lions are coming off a consecutive nine, consecutive nine and seven seasons in a better position to contend in the immediate future than the Giants are who are recovering from a 3-13 and debacle, Mad Mike. Yeah, I mean, I, listen, if I'm looking at, at the Giants and, and we're being honest and objective, regardless of what team you're a fan of, I'm looking at a dumpster fire. I'm looking at, I, I, I honestly believe, I'm looking at, at a roster that's going to get worse before it gets better. And, 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 or, or, you know, I'm looking at roster situations. I don't want to say a roster because I, I think you, you in the NFL you could turn a roster over uh, player-wise very quickly. But when I say a roster situation, um, you have a safety that called your first-round cornerback a cancer. He didn't say that because he was upset just for one day. You know what I mean? We're talking to he, if Landon Collins, the leader of the defense, called somebody a cancer, it was earned. That right, that that right and reputation was earned. Eli Apple has to wear that, and I don't think you're going to fix that situation, at least not overnight. And I don't think a first-time coach at Matt Patricia wants to deal with that, especially a defensive guy. You know, Matt Patricia is the defensive coordinator of the, of the Patriots, so he's coming into a team where the defense essentially doesn't like each other. I mean, let's be honest about it, right? So if, if you're not going to play for, for a guy in Steve Spagnolo that everybody supposedly loves, you're not going to come in with this Patriot and say, oh, I'm going to – don't tell me what to do or, or, all right, no, no problem. Like, you already know what the deal is. Uh, not only that, but he's stepping into – he'd be stepping into a situation where, you know, there's no running back on offense, at least no clear-cut favorite, um, unless you, you land uh, Barkley. Um you, you you have the old Dell Beckham Jr. Uh, you, you have these rumors that he won't play this year without a new contract. He won't even step on the field. So if you're a first-time head coach and you're staking your 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 future 
to 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 a guy who might never step on a field. Who cares how talented they say he is? This guy might never play for me, or he might he might give me half an effort because he's not paid yet and he doesn't want to get hurt. You know what I'm saying? I might have to trade him, uh, or Dave Gettleman might have to trade him. So I might not even get a full, you know, uh, uh, you know, I might not even get Odell Beckham. So why even look at him like, oh man, I got a, I got a number one receiver, like top three in in the, in the whole league. And on top of that, like you said, you don't know if they're going Rosen. You don't know if they're going Darnold. What if Gettleman really likes Josh Allen, who's looked at as the worst of the three, but at, at the moment, but the probably has the brightest future because he has the NFL measurables. You know what I'm saying? On top of all of that, I got Eli Manning, who's 37 years old, might actually not even want to come back himself. He might want out, whether it's to Denver, whether it's to, to you know, Jacksonville, which doesn't seem very likely with the way Blake Bortles has, has gotten to an AFC title game. Um, so I'm looking at it and I'm saying, you know what, with Matt Patricia... If I, he already has the offense in place. He has nothing to worry about. They have Golden Tate. You know, they have Eric Ebron. They have uh, 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 Marvin Jones. They have a ton of receivers out there. They have the running backs. I mean, not great running backs, but they have the running backs. Um, they started building the offensive line. And like you said, they got a franchise quarterback. Um, Detroit looks a lot more stable right now than the Giants, regardless of how many playoff wins they have over the last 10, 11 years, whatever you want to look at it. In the end of the day, I'm just looking from a roster standpoint, and they look more stable. And if I'm a first-time head coach, remember something. If Matt Patricia comes to the Giants and they look bad, Matt Patricia may never get a, 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 a coaching job ever again as far as being a head coach. Look at what just happened to Ben McAdoo. Do you think anybody in the league is ever going to We had this argument, right? Ben McAdoo is never going to get a head coaching job ever again. So if you're him, you're saying, not me. That can't be me. I'm taking over Detroit. It's more stable at the moment. And I'll live with, with you know, I'll live with my decision. Well, I'll tell you this much, Mad Mike. You would think that the Giants should be a desirable destination for other candidates. But I will say it will be time to sound an alarm if Pat Schumer turns down the Giants and go to the Cardinals, who have a worse quarterback situation and no obvious ties to the front office to lure the Vikings offensive coordinator. But losing Patricia to the Lions doesn't say anything about the Giants organization that wasn't known at the start of the coaching search, Mad Mike. The Giants organization has turned into a joke. It's turned into a joke, Mad Mike. A big joke. Now, I I mean, is, is it safe to say that the Jets organization can possibly be being ran? Better than the Giants organization? Well, well, no, no, no. See, see, see. <laughs> Here we go. I'm going to say no, and I'm going to tell you why. Um, I, why I don't think you can say that. Because look at the Jets. I mean, did, did you, Doug Marone is taking Jacksonville to the AFC title game. Doug Marone was supposed to be the New York Jets head coach. They supposedly had a deal in place. He was supposed to be the guy. Mike McCagnan, Charlie Casserly, uh, Ron Wolf, they wanted it to be Doug Marone. One freaking Manish Mehta of the Daily News and his smear campaign 
He didn't want to. He didn't like this guy. He didn't want this guy to, to be the coach. And he started a smear campaign. And Woody Johnson, even though that's the guy he wanted and he loved, hired Todd Bowles because of it. I, you can't tell me that the Jets will ever be run better as far as ownership goes. Um, <laughs> if you don't even hire the guy you want because a so-called journalist um, who had a, a axe to grind convinced you not to hire your guy. I, I, I can tell you the Jets made a mistake. I knew they made a mistake. Doug Marone? Well, come on, man. It's And I know what everyone's going to say. Doug Marone. Nobody saw that coming. Doug Marone is one at every level. He won in Syracuse. He won in Buffalo. Look at it. Buffalo before this year, he, he had the only winning season in like the last eight years. And then he resigned because he thought he was getting the Jets job. He didn't just quit the Buffalo Bills for no reason. What guy, uh, what, what, what head coach resigns to be an offensive coordinator or a defensive coordinator or offensive line coach for another organization? He resigned because he was given word that the job was his. We'll see what happens, man, Mike. I mean, at this point, I mean, I have zero faith in this organization. Um, the man that I wanted is now gone. Um, Pat Schumer is the, is the rumored person that they have lined up next. But, you know, players are turn if coaches or coordinators are turning down this job to go elsewhere, again, it just shows, you know, the makeup of this team and the direction that these guys feel that the Giants are going in. At this yes. point in time. It, it's the one thing that worries me, and, and I've, I've spoken to off the air and on the air about this. Um, those personalities in that locker room for the Giants, you, you to me, the Giants are making a mistake looking at all these first-time uh, head coaches, Pat Schumer, um, you know, uh, Patricia, Steve Wilkes. You, you you need someone that's gonna like a Jack Del Rio type, regardless of what you think. You need someone that can command a room, someone that can garner respect. Somebody like Tom Coughlin. That's what you need. I mean, what 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 of who of these guys that they've interviewed that have, have supposedly you know at the top of their list? Who's gonna go in there and tell uh, Odell Beckham Jr. shut up and play ball? You're absolutely right. So I mean, look, Gettleman. He has a lot to do. He's saying all the right things. But, you know, now it's time to act upon what you say. So we'll see what happens. But with that being said, man, Mike, we're going to take a quick commercial break on Martin Luther King Jr. Day, man, Mike. We're going to be right back with more of the Lloyd A. Thompson and Mad Mike Sports Talk Show. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, my name is A.O. Aaron Omar Baker, and I'm the producer for the Lloyd A. Thompson and Mad Mike Show. Listen, for starters, I want to say thank you for tuning in, thank you for listening, and thank you for sharing the show. If you aren't already subscribed to the podcast, you can do so on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, TuneIn. Just head over to LloydAThompson.com. All the information is there, and if you want to send a question to the guys, they'll answer it on a future show. You can do so at the website or directly by email. It's Lloyd at PardonMyFresh.com. All right, that's it. Real quick, real simple. Let's get back to the show. Welcome back to the Lloyd A. Thompson and Mad Mike Sports Talk Show on Martin Luther King Jr.'s Day. But Mad Mike, we're going to talk about the New York Knicks who choked it all away in a disastrous gut punch against the New Orleans Pelicans yesterday at the Garden, blowing a 19-point lead and a 14-point fourth-quarter lead. 
Now, Mad Mike, remember this moment, this game, this loss. If the upcoming seven-game road trip goes as most expected, if the rest of the season continues on this downward trend, if the Knicks are playing for ping-pong balls rather than a playoff spot with a chance to head out on the road feeling good about themselves after playing their best basketball in weeks, the Knicks gagged away a 19-point third-quarter lead in spectacular fashion, Mad Mike. They wasted a nine-point edge in the final four minutes. The defense went, they went from stifling, allowing a season-low 13 first-quarter points to a save. The offense either overpassed or didn't pass enough. And now after the 10th loss in 12 games, Matt Mike, the Knicks venture out on the road for 15 days with their dismal 4-15, Matt Mike. I don't think I need to say anything. Anthony Davis, <laughs> Anthony Davis, Matt Mike, took Chris Porzingis and the other Knicks forwards to the woodshed. He scored 48 points. The most by Knicks opponent since James Harden dropped 53 on them on New Year's Eve in 2016. He has 17 rebounds, making Madison Square Garden his temporary playground. And the Pelicans. Yo, 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 wait, 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 wait. Before you continue going crazy, don't tell everybody that he took KP and the Knicks forwards to the woodshed. Kristaps Porzingis played 44 minutes. He took KP to the woodshed and nobody else just kp well i mean you know they tried nah, nah, they keep was, going keep going keep going there was moments going. where they had Ennis Cantor on him and he dominated Ennis Cantor so whoever was on him chris dasperzingas was on him for most of the game but whoever tried to guard that dude whoever tried to guard him he took him to the woodshed oh boy now you should never give up a 30 point quarter on your court and expect to win games, Matt Mike. Coach Jeff Hornacek said, after his team allowed two such quarters, you got to take wins. You can't think you're just going to fall into them. Here we go. Jeff Hornacek in an interview said, I think we're going in the right direction. What, what weed are you smoking? Because whatever you're smoking, brother, I want to take a hit of that. I want to take a hit of that. Davis was the man. Basically snatching a victory from Pazingas to the Knicks. He forced the extra session with a basket over Pazingas. He grabbed the clutch rebound in the final seconds of overtime. Pazingas, meanwhile, missed a potential tying three-pointer with 7.8 seconds left. And he finished with 25 points and, and on 10 to 24 shooting. Now, he's struggling, Matt Mike, from the field. He just managed three points over the final quarter in overtime while Davis had 13. And I agree with you when you say that at this particular point in time, Kristaps Porzingis is being overplayed right now. He's complained. He said he's tired. So he's giving you indications, Matt Mike, that he's running out of gas. He's giving the coach indications that he's running out of gas. And Jeff Hornacek is still running them out there. Yeah, but here's the problem, man. Here's the, here's the problem. That's your superstar. And I said this last week, Sean, I'm going to say it again. When you give your brother 
the the mic and allow him to talk about the Knicks the way that he did to start this season and basically saying, we know we're going to get paid. You need to show us that you're moving in the right direction. You lose all right to have these fourth quarters. You have all, or you lose all rights to disappear against the Chicago Bulls in overtime and, 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 and in the fourth quarter. You lose the right to get abused by Anthony Davis. You lose the right to shoot 42% for like the fifth straight game. You lose the right for all of those things. I don't care if he's being overplayed. LeBron James is being overplayed and he's putting up numbers. You, every, 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 you're the superstar of the New York Knicks. You know, yesterday I'm, I'm driving in the car. Two days ago, I'm driving in the car with my wife, take my daughter to the movies. And I hear a fan call up and say, I've been telling you for three years that this guy doesn't have the body. He doesn't have the physical toughness. He doesn't have the mentality to be a New York Knicks. He's a, just another, uh, 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 he said, just another weak European who, who just lashed it off. He said, I watched Dirk Nowitzki throw him to the ground and KP is just smiling. Dad, what are you smiling for? Get in his face and get in there. Like the, the fan base is, is turning on you. They're, they're, you got to understand something. There's a, there's a portion of this fan base, not me and you included, but that don't believe in him, that never did believe in him. They hold it against him that they chose him over Melo. KP got to figure it out because this is the third year in a row that KP has ran out of gas after December. That's the other part of the problem. This is something we got to talk about. This is this is the third year in a row. Rookie season, fine. Rookie wall. Last year and this year, come on, man. I want. I don't want to hear anymore that the coach is, is is overplaying this guy. He's 23 years old, man. Well, I'll say this much. He has to learn because he's a man right now. He's a Carmelo Anthony in New York Knicks. You know, he's a LeBron James of the Cleveland Cavaliers. He's a man right now. So he's going to have to lead this team. And like you said, he's going to have to suck it up. And he's going to have to do the necessary things that stars do. Now, the Knicks at this particular point in time, man, Mike, are 19 and 24. And like I was saying, at some point in the game, they led by as much as 17 points in the first half and 19 late in the third quarter. You know, Tim Hardaway Jr. had a steal and a slam. And he's played, you know, good basketball in his return. But the Knicks fell apart as they just managed four points the rest of the regulation. Come on, man, Mike. Four damn points? They were uh, I mean, four, four points? Dude, they, 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 they had the same problem against Chicago. This team uh, is, is down the stretch. They don't move the ball anymore. They, I'm, I'm hoping that... that uh, which I hope we talk about, you know, in a little bit. But I'm hoping that bringing Trey Burke on will at least, you know, kind of give them a presence that can get to the basket and collapse the defense. Kind of like how Jarek Jack has been blown by and, and teams are just feasting from the three-point line against us because of him. I'm hoping Trey Burke can kind of bring that. And something that I didn't even consider um, I saw Tim Hardaway last week praising it, saying that he couldn't wait for the move. It was going to be, you know, it, it wasn't going to take them but a couple a couple minutes on the court together to, to you know, get familiar again. Trey Burke and, and, and Tim Hardaway played for a national title in college together. I completely forgot about that. So you got two, two, you got the backcourt of a national title contending team kind of, you know, now here. It, it's, uh, listen, I, 
Oh, I don't know what to tell you as far as which way. I think that they need to sell. I said that I thought they 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 uh, this team would win. 30, 35 games. I don't think that's impossible still. I think, you know, 40 games left in the season and they're 11 games, 16 games away from 35. Um, I think they can still pull it off. I mean, to go 16 and what, 24 the rest of the way, still eight games under, but they'll get it. I just don't think it's worth it. I think, uh, you know, what, what worries me is was this story, the Ramon Session story that came out, you know, on Saturday. Did you hear about that the Ramon session story? Let the listeners know. All right, so so uh, apparently this is how the story goes. Uh, Ramon Sessions chose not to to uh, attend voluntary workouts for the Knicks uh, over the summer, and they're saying that the the story that I read, um, I think it was in the New York Post. Don't quote me because I don't want to get sued if I get the story wrong, but. Um, he didn't show up for voluntary workouts. Obviously, he's a veteran, and what the hell, What does he have to show? I'm a vet. I'm not going to voluntary workouts. They said the team soured on him. Uh, Scott Perry, the, him not showing up for voluntary workouts is what led Scott Perry to recommend to Steve Mills to hire to sign Jared Jack. So it tells me that Ramon Sessions was Steve Mills' hire, you know, uh, signing that that's who he wanted. And Scott Perry said, you know, wait a minute, think about this for a second. This guy doesn't know the offense, and he chose not to come to voluntary workouts. He doesn't know the, these players, and he chose not to come to workouts. And they soured on him right then and there. Three games into the season, he loses his job to Jared Jack. He never gets it back. And he's, he's he played in just a handful of games uh, since the third game of the season. Here's a problem I have with that story. And it's not even with Ramon Sessions, who I think, you know, if you're going to sour on a player, why wasn't it Ramon Sessions that got cut when Noah came off suspension? Why was it Kuzminskis? You know what I'm saying? If, if, if Ramon Sessions, you were already sour on him. And, 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 and the other thing they said was Jared Jack uh, was, was a teacher. He was open about it. And he's taken you know, Frank Nelikina under his wing where they said Sessions was reluctant to do so. I can understand why. If you're a veteran on a one-year contract, um, why would you want to take the rookie under your wing? Because if the rookie learns and the rookie starts to shine, he's obviously going to take your job. And playing on a one-year contract, this year is an audition for him for whatever team next year. So, you know, the, the Ramon Sessions deal just blew up in their face from the beginning. And you know who that is? That's Steve Mills, man. That's Steve Mills. Like you said, got to get rid of all of them, right? It's just another mistake. Not only that, man, Mike, let's see what happens. I can see Trey Burke not playing in yesterday's game because it was his first game up with the Knicks. But I could also see him not playing at all with the rotation, with the player rotation that Jeff Hornacek has right now. So you figure, you know, Frank Nittalikina and Jared Jack are getting most of the minutes at the lead guard spot. Where does that leave room for Trey Burke to get up on the court? And for some reason, we always, we don't know why, we scratch our heads that they're so enamored with Ron Baker. So I want to, if you're going to bring him up, give him time. Like you said, I agree with you. The Knicks need to be sellers. Nothing is going on. It looks like your crystal ball is showing you the right thing, that they're going to win probably between 30 and 35 games or maybe less than that. But I will say it's a continued and concerning trend of poor finishes for this Knicks team, Matt Mike, which was the case in the previous two setbacks against the Timberwolves and the Bulls 
games that they were outscored by a combined 16 points in the fourth quarter in overtime. So You're right, have, and Jeff Hornacek so got up. better at that, man, Mike. Uh, Jeff Hornacek has to prove, like Todd Bowles has to prove, that he could coach the most important quarter. The most important quarter in basketball, like football, is the fourth. And this team has blown a lot of leads. And to me personally, you know how I feel about Bowles. You blow fourth quarter leads, that's on the coach, you got to fire him. And I'm saying the same thing for Hornacek. Listen, Steve Mills didn't hire you, and neither did Scott Perry. Phil Jackson hired you. So you're still, to me, in a show and prove, and you're getting it wrong. We're, we're, we're close. We're close. Well, you know what? Teams that blow fourth quarter leads are not close. They're not close. Yeah, and you know what? It's funny because uh, Clyde Frazier and Mike Breen said the same thing. There's like this loss right here, show where the Knicks are, compared to all the other teams in the NBA. And they're nowhere near where they need to be. Now they begin a long road trip, coming off arguably their worst loss of the season, and they need to find a way to close out games away from the Garden. You know, so, you know, they, they, they play against the Hawks, they play against the Jazz, they got the Brooklyn Nets um, today. So the Knicks need to figure out a way to get wins. Me personally, Sellers... Give the young guys a shot, which, which is what they were supposed to be doing all season. And hopefully, we'll have some kind of luck with the lottery and this year's draft, which the way things are going with the Knicks, I don't even think that's going to happen, Matt, Mike. They might not even have luck with that. But the Knicks need to sell. You need to get what you can get for Kyle Quinn. You need to get what you can get for Courtney Lee. You know, I can't see Kyle Quinn coming back. He's a free agent. The Knicks aren't going to have much money. To give him, he's probably going to get more money from someplace else. I can see Who's him that? dumping ship. I can Who's see, that? huh? Who's that, Kylo Quinn? Kylo Quinn, yeah. Well, uh, he's, he's under contract. He has a, he has an opt-out. Um, maybe he opts out, maybe he doesn't. But he's under contract for, for uh, one more season after I, this year. I think he, if, if I can see him opting out and get more money. I can see him get more money someplace else. I think he's played his way into earning a, a better payday than what he's getting for the Knicks right now. Now, you know, he's from Queens. His family is in Queens. So maybe that might be the reason why he doesn't opt out. But we'll see what happens. Josh McDermott, again, he'll be a free agent or he has the ability to opt out after this year. These are guys that you, if you, you know, if you need to get rid of them and get what you can get for them right now. So um, I like Doug McDermott. I, I, I think like Doug McDermott Listen, is, is a I'm, guy that I'm not saying I don't like him, Mad Mike, but he seems to have fell out of the rotation, and he's not on the court as much. Now you know we were saying yeah, before. Yeah, but that's Hornacek. Hornacek just exactly. there's no rhyme or reason. That's there's right, no rhyme or reason because it's not just him. Michael Beasley um, didn't really play against Minnesota, and Michael Beasley didn't really play um, against uh, against New Orleans. And why is that? Because Tim Hardaway's back? But here's my thing. Are you here's kidding the, me? Here's the point that I'm making, Mad Mike. I agree with you. That's the case. But are you going to give McDermott a shitload of money? Excuse my French. Are you going to give McDermott a lot of money as, as a free agent and he hasn't really played that much? These are mistakes that the Knicks have constantly made as an organization. You know oh, this guy's I... a free agent. We both like him. We both think he can help the Knicks out. But see if he's worth giving any kind of money next season, Mad Mike. And the Knicks are not doing that. And if Jeff Hornacek is a reason, and for some reason, I was talking to a friend of mine, 
And we both seem to think that the Knicks organization feel that his, this guy's doing a great job for whatever reason. I yeah, guarantee I know, I know. you they feel that he's doing a great job, Matt Mike. And he's not going to get fired after the season. He's not going to get fired after the season when he should get fired. But he's not. But he's not because for some godforsaken reason, the Knicks organization think that he's doing a great job. So I'm let's move on from the Knicks and let's talk about the New York Yankees. As the New York Yankees avoided arbitration and settled with eight players, Mad Mike, which is key for these guys because we both spoke upon, you know, being able to settle with the players because you don't want it to cause bad blood, you know, between the organization and players. So the Yankees managed to settle with eight players that they had <clears throat> um, for arbitration, Matt Mike. So, you know, Dylan Batances, they settled with Dylan Batances. They gave him a $5.1 million contract, was a $5 million raise. They settled with Sonny Gray. Um, he's making 6.5. They settled with D.D. DeGorius, who's making 8.5. Aaron Hicks and Austin Roman. You know, they're respectively making 2.8 and 1.1 million. They said it with Tommy Canley, who's making 1.3 million, Chasing Shreve, Adam Warren. You know, so they settled with a lot of guys, and that's key because now they can focus on their next move in free agency, especially losing out on Garrett Cole, which I'm hearing the reason why the Yankees didn't pull the trigger was because um Pittsburgh wanted uh Andujar and the Yankees wasn't willing to give up Andujar and that deal. So they lost uh, Garrett Cole to the Houston Astros. So now supposedly their focus is on you, Darvis, and trying to get you, Darvis, on the cheap, Matt Mike. So, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, okay. So I thought the Yankees um, hit a home run with, with their uh, signing their arbitration-eligible players. And the reason I say that is you have to consider – um, last year, the bad blood between Dellen Batances and the Yankees. Um, Dellen wanted $5 million. Yankees offered him three and a half, and the Yankees won. Dellen was kind of taken back by the process. He didn't realize what was going to happen going into that. The reason I, I, I applaud them for, for the way they handled him, you got to think about something. Dellen Batances was, was, was projected, uh, because of his, his up and down season, he was only projected to get an $800,000 raise. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, last year he got three million. He was only projected to get uh, four point three million dollars this year um, in arbitration. And the Yankees actually took some of the savings that they had and they gave him a, a bump all the way to five point one. Kind of a good faith gesture um, for what took place last year. You know, you're talking about a guy who who um, only has one more year um, arbitration eligible. The Yankees have to, you know, they got to make a decision on him. Are they going to sign him long term? And if you are. A move like this uh, kind of settles him, you know, makes him feel want a little more wanted. So that's great. The Yankees now, after their arbitration eligible players are all locked up, they have about $22 million in cap space. Uh, they can't use all of it on, on, on to go and, uh, you know, get a pitcher or whatever uh, you have. You, you Darvish at the time because they still have to leave some money aside for uh, pre-arbitration uh, MLB, you know, minor league call-ups during the course of the season. I think it's something like uh, you got to keep uh, minimum, uh, which is about 550000 a player, up to 10 players. So you got to keep about $5 million, uh free. Uh, so let's just say, for argument's sake, the Yankees are working with something around $18, 19000000 uh, just for argument's sake, right? Uh, 
You Darvish, I don't know that he fits into that. We're talking about a guy who's 31 years old. Uh, we're talking about a guy that's probably going on his last major contract. Um, he's obviously going to ask for more than five or six years uh, at this point, or that's what his goal is, five or six years. That would give you, the Yankees, uh, a pitcher who's already had Tommy John. So he's about 36. So I know the Yankees say they're interested for the right price. But I don't know what the right price is. Honestly, man, I don't know that I would make the move. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's not my money, so I would make the move. You know what I'm saying? It's not my money. And I want the Yankees to win a World Series. He solidifies the, the roster, the rotation. Um, so I, I'll say I don't I don't see it happening. I, I'll say that. Well, here's the, uh, thing, as as, here's the thing, man. I hate to cut you off. So you have you, Darvis. You have Alec Cobb, Alex Cobb, and you have Jake Arrieta. So next year, you have, like, uh, Crenshaw and, and Keiko, and those guys will be free agents. But do you, t do you sign either one of those three guys? Well, no, uh, here's why. If you're going to sign anybody, it's going to be you, Darvish, and you, Darvish only, because he's top of the rotation. Uh, he's a top of the rotation guy. He's an ace, uh, a one or a two, regardless of what you saw in the World Series. Um, we'll call that the outlier because he's never been that bad ever in his career. Um, so I'll say that that's the guy you go. Alex Cobb, Alex Cobb at best, in his best season, Alex Cobb is going to be a three starter. Um, and on these Yankees, do you really need a three starter? We're talking about you have Luis Severino, Tanaka, Sonny Gray, and CC at four. Um, I mean, Alex Cobb is not really bolstering your, your rotation. And not only that, if you sign Alex Cobb and he's your three, four, uh, he's stopping a kid like Chance Adams, Justice Sheffield, Domingo Armand, um, Domingo Acevedo. You know, he's stopping these guys from getting calls up. You know, guys that actually are, 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 have better stuff than him and might have a higher ceiling than he does. You're never going to know unless you call him up, right? Not only that, but... You you invested in Jordan Montgomery last year and really really uh, developing him, you know, as a rotation guy. So I don't see it. I see either it's going to be an ace, a Michael Fulmer, a Hugh Darvish, you know, uh, uh, Chris Archer, or it's not going to be any of them, and they're going to focus on the offense. Now, so they still me, have some money. Now let me ask you one more question before we close the show out. Would it be best for the Yankees? To hold on to this year and give the Chance Adams and the Jordan Montgomery a shot and go after somebody like Keiko or Chris or Kershaw next season. Because if they uh, sign you Darvish to just, just say they sign him, I doubt if they turn around and go out and get one of those guys next year. But we are talking about the Yankees, so anything is possible and a luxury tax and reset so they'll be able to play with their money like little kids in a sandlot. But, you know, should they do it and hold or should they hold off and take their chances next year? Um, I don't think I, I think that if I think that the, the Yankees and Brian Cashman, the way they've operated lately, um, I think that he's realistic. I think that if he's looking at the market and he's saying, well, yeah, Keitel and Kershaw won their lefties, their aces, and maybe they are better than Darvish. But he made that mistake once upon a time with Cliff Lee. And he just made the assumption, the, the straight-out assumption that he could buy Cliff Lee. Now, you, you have to know that you can get those guys. If you have a real shot at you, Darvish, uh, a better shot at signing him this year, 
why wait for next year? You act now, and then next year, you don't have to worry about it. That's what he did this past year with the trades, right? He got Tommy Canely. He got David Robertson. Um, he solidified his bullpen with guys that were locked up long-term. So now this offseason, he didn't have to look at the bullpen, right? I'm already straight. Well, next year, I don't have to look at the rotation, and I can focus on Bryce Harper and Manny Machado and all these other guys. And in a way, that's kind of what he did with the Giancarlo Stanton trade, right? I don't have to worry about if Bryce Harper is or isn't going to come here. I don't have to worry about if Bryce Harper is going to ask for 400 or $500 million because I traded for Giancarlo Stanton and I'm, I'm, you know, uh, I'm taking care of their long term already. If I can get Bryce, great. If I can't get Bryce, I'm already solid. So I, I think, um, I think you make a great point. Do you hold off for those guys? I, I think that. If the bidding for Darvish gets too crazy, you do. But at the same time, um, you got to be realistic. I don't think Kershaw wants anything to do with us. I don't think Keiko wants anything to do with us. Um, so I, I think that you you either stand pat or get Darvish. I, I mean, listen, I, I like the idea of giving these kids um, a chance. And I'm one of the guys that told you. We, we spoke about this. I don't think you have to marry yourself to a World Series this year. I know the fans want it um, because of what they did this year. But remember, they were they were projected to be good in 2019. This team arrived two years ahead of schedule, and I don't think you need to buy your way into next this season. Well, they also they can hold on to their chips and get somebody like Kershaw, Kaiku, and Machado or Bryce Harper next season as well. So, you know, this the one thing we both can agree on for certain that the Yankees they they've played the, their cards correctly. You know, if they, had, if they had a poker hand, man, they got the bomb poker hand right now, and they're doing things the right way. Yeah, and actually, right you mentioned way. it. You mentioned it, right? You you you, you said that um, they took their top players, to uh, Gleyber Torres and Andujar and Miguel Floreal and Justice Sheffield. They took them off the table in a Garrett Coltrade. They be, and, and not only that, but they also told the, the, the Pirates, you can have Chance Adams or you can have Clint Frazier. But you can't have both. So they basically drew the line in the sand and said, "Hey, they, 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 what I'm saying is, they. I don't. I think Cashman just sent the message: we're going to contend and we're going to do it the right way. But if it doesn't happen this season, it, it's okay. We have guys that that we know are coming, and we're not going to give. You know, we're not going to overpay for a Garrett Cole because the fan base wants it right now. Not only that, man, Mike. I want to add." That they were, there was an executive that they were saying, an MLB executive, that really didn't understand what Pittsburgh was doing because they said what, the, what they got from the Astros didn't amount to them getting Frazier, Clint Frazier, or Chance Adams, either or. So they were well, scratching their head about I, that deal. I'll tell you this. Um, I, yeah, they didn't, they didn't get much. They got one top 10 prospect and, and, and maybe one top 20 prospect and a bunch of, you know, bag of balls if you ask me um, compared to what they asked the Yankees for um, they didn't get one prospect that was ranked as high as like you said they didn't get one prospect ranked as high as Clint Frazier um, but I will say this Joe Joe Musgrove was really highly he was highly touted man um, just two years ago highly touted I don't know why the, the, the you know bloom fell off that rose 
but everybody loved them just two years ago. So I don't want to lose sight of that. Uh, maybe Pittsburgh thinks that they can uh, really turn him into a Garrett Cole type ace. But yeah, the Yankees were getting robbed, and and Brian Cashman saw it, and I applaud him for saying you're not getting anybody close to to Clint Frazier from from the Astros. How dare you ask me for for Clint Frazier plus? Some and not only that, they weren't even asking for Clint Frazier. Like I told you, they they don't have a need for 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 an outfielder. They have a need for a freaking infielder, and they were asking for Andujar or Torres. And good for Cashman because both of those guys are going to play for the New York Yankees this year. Yeah, I, listen, man, I totally agree, and that's why I say, man, these dudes are doing things the right way. But with that being said, that's going to bring us to a conclusion of this show. I want to thank you, the listeners, for chiming in. And hanging out with us, as always, I want to thank the Mad Mike for taking time out of his schedule. And we both would like to thank our producer, A.O. Omar Baker, for doing what he does to keep this thing going. And with that being said today, guys, today is a special day. Today is Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday. And with that being said, we're going to celebrate his day by finishing the show off with one of his most famous speeches, uh, I Have a Dream. So, guys, God bless. Be safe. Me and Mad Mike will catch up with you in seven days. So even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners Will they be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood? I have a dream that one day even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream. My four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day down in Alabama with its vicious racist, with its governor having his lips dripping with the words of interposition and nullification. One day right there in Alabama, little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. I have a dream today. dream that one day every valley shall be exalted. 
Every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be made plain. And the crooked places will be made straight. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. This is our hope. This is a faith that I go back to the south with. With this faith. We will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. With this faith. We will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. With this faith, we will be able to work together, to pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together, to stand up for freedom together, knowing that we will be free one day. This will be the day... This will be the day when all of God's children will be able to sing with new meaning, my country tears of thee. Sweet land of liberty of thee I sing. Land where my fathers died, land of the pilgrim's pride. From every mountainside, let freedom ring. And if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. And so let freedom ring. From the prodigious hilltops of New Hampshire, let freedom reign. From the mighty mountains of New York, let freedom reign. From the heightening Alleghenies of Pennsylvania, let freedom reign. From the snow-capped Rockies of Colorado, let freedom reign. From the curvaceous slopes of California, but not only that, let freedom reign. From Stone Mountain of Georgia. Let freedom ring from Lookout Mountain of Tennessee. Let freedom ring from every hill and mole hill of Mississippi, from every mountainside. Let freedom ring, and when this happens, when we allow freedom ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, thank God.